This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Hello and welcome to episode 99 of the Farm Traveler podcast. I am your host, Trevor Williams, and today on the show, we are interviewing a farmer and also a fellow podcaster, her name is Caitlin Dubin, and she is host of the Rural Woman podcast, and she is a farmer in southern Alberta, Canada. She and her husband grow grain, oil seed, and she also has a little hobby of meat goats, which is super cool. And so Caitlin and I are going to talk today about how she started out not from a farming background and how she got into it and how she was really learning a lot whenever she first started out on the farm and how it really became a passion project. She left her job, she started working on the farm, she started to love it, and then she created this whole brand called Wild Rose Farmer, and it's a great website she has where she kind of showcases what she does on the farm. She's got a lot of merch, which is really neat. She's got some great shirts and stuff like that. And she also started the Rule Woman Podcast, which it's two years old, just like ours, but they have had over 200,000 downloads, which is pretty darn amazing and they cover a lot of stuff what it's like to work on a farm a whole bunch of rural women in agriculture um, in ranching so if you want to check that out be sure to check it out we'll have it at the links in the description of this show I had a fun time talking with caitlin about her farming background and of course it's always fun to geek out with other podcasters on you know how they do it how they've grown their show what they do to prepare for interviews and all that really good stuff um so yeah and I cannot believe it. This is episode 99, so next week will be our 100th episode, and we're going to do it a little bit differently where the 100th episode will be a question and answer. So if you are on Instagram or if you're on Facebook and you're listening to it before episode 100 drops, head over to our Instagram and let me know of any questions you might want us to cover or you might want me to answer, like, what are my thoughts on GMOs? Why, um, why, why do I think the non-GMO label is completely stupid? My thoughts on organic, why I want to do the podcast and stuff like that. So yeah, just head over to, um, Instagram or Facebook. And for this post, just comment 
what questions you might want me to do. I'll be posting it on Instagram stories throughout the week. So, so yeah, thank you so much for listening. I think it's so cool that we are up to 100 episodes as of next week. And anyway, in the in-between, we're going to listen, or rather, you're going to listen to the interview I have with Caitlin and all the fascinating stuff we're going to talk about. So again, this is episode 99 with Caitlin Duman from the Rural Woman podcast and, of course, in southern Alberta, Canada, farming a whole bunch of really good stuff. Hope you enjoy it, and thanks so much for listening. <laughs> All right, well, welcome to the Farm Traveler podcast. Caitlin Dubin, how are you doing? I'm doing so well. How are you, Trevor? I'm doing good. I'm excited to chat with you. You seem like you're a jack-of-all-trades. You're a farmer. You've got a whole a cool brand, which is called Wild Rose Farmer, and we'll talk about that. And you've also... You're a fellow podcaster. You've got one called Rural Women Podcast. And so I'm super excited to chat with you. Um, before we dive into all that good stuff, kind of tell us a little bit about yourself and a little bit of a background. Well, thank you so much for having me on your podcast. And like you said, my name is Caitlin Dubin. I am actually a first-generation farmer. I married into the farming business back in Oh gosh, 2016 was the year we got married. Had to think about that. <laughs> and uh, I married into a multi-generational farm family. We live and grow on my husband's family's certified organic grain and oilseed operation. Uh, before I married into this situation, I knew nothing about agriculture. So I'm definitely a farmer in training. And uh, I grew up not far from where our farm was, but some days it feels like it is a long ways away from where I came from and where I started. So I worked at a cushy nine to five government job. And that is what my plan was, was to stay doing that while we got married. But uh, through quickly, I found uh, that farming wasn't just a job. It was an all encompassing lifestyle. So I like to say, um, Brene Brown calls it actually, um, a mental breakdown slash spiritual awakening. I feel like I went through one of those very quickly after we got married. And, uh, then I ended up quitting my job and kind of jumping in with both feet into the farm life. <laughs> That's awesome. So, I mean, what was going on there? Like what kind of a I'm sure that was a huge adjustment. I mean, not coming from a farming background and then marrying into it and working on the family farm. So what was that whole switch like? I'm sure it was kind of, I'm sure you felt like you were drowning at some point. So what was that switch like? Yeah, absolutely. That's a great way to describe it. Um, <laughs> it was, it was honestly just a complete change. And like I said, I didn't grow up I, far from here, but it seems like just a completely different lifestyle. Uh, I grew up with a, you know, pretty typical family. We ate dinner at 6 p.m. every weeknight and uh, went to bed at a reasonable time. And on the weekends, we would go camping or we would go to the lake or do whatever. And now I was in this lifestyle where, you know, things are controlled by the uncontrollables, like the weather, the markets, all of the different things that I wasn't used to. Uh, and coming on to a fully operational farm uh, and kind of trying to find my place in here, it was really difficult. And trying to, you know, work my nine to five job and then be able to rush out here and kind of try and help where I could, it was just really stressful. And I know there are so many people who, you know, work full time and farm full time at the same time. And I give them all of the credit where credit is due because it was just so much for me to handle. And, 
you know, I didn't have any reference of what my life was supposed to look like and what I was supposed to be doing on the farm. Um, you know, I didn't really have friends who grew up in this lifestyle. So it was kind of just like hit and miss and kind of see where things worked out and shook out. And eventually they did. And uh, I still feel like I'm learning more and more every day and through every season and every weather change. Uh, but I would say it's pretty comfortable at the moment. Well, that's good to hear. I'm sure there was a lot of growing pains as you're kind of getting used to that. Um, and, you know, so you're a consumer um, and then you became a farmer. Were there a lot of moments when you were learning what was going on at the farm and what to do where you were kind of connecting the dots? You're like, oh, wait, like this is how it works. This is how the food goes from the farm to the table. Did you have any of those moments? Oh, every day. And I still have all of those moments all of the time. The more and more I learn about the industry, like we're grain farmers, we don't have much to do with animal agriculture besides kind of my hobby on the side. But like just learning from what our neighbors are doing or what other people in the industry are doing, like I... Oh, I was so clueless. I had no idea how the food came from a farm and got to the grocery store and on to our tables as a consumer. And I feel like I've, I feel like I'm kind of like I have the advantage over some multi-generational farmers who have done this for their entire lives and were born and raised by it. And I have the outsider's perspective of, you know, I I know what we don't know as consumers because I was a consumer. I still am a consumer and I'm still learning and figuring out different things from different industries. But it's a very interesting uh, to be immersed in the agricultural lifestyle now that I, you know, I'm a farmer and I'm growing the food versus just being the person who happily ate it before. <laughs> yeah, no, I can imagine. That's so cool. So can you tell us more about you guys' farm? I mean, looking at your Instagram and your website, it looks like you got you guys grow grain, oil seed, and like you were talking about earlier, you have a hobby of raising meat goats. So what all is your farming operation like? Right. Yeah. Well, our farm originally started, we've been trying to dig through the paperwork to figure out the exact year that this farm, that Dubin Farm started. And we believe it was 75 years ago. Uh, Justin's grandfather uh, immigrated from the Ukraine and ended up purchasing this land here um, that we're currently still on. And it went through Justin's father's generation. And now Justin is uh, managing and maintaining the farm. Um, we grow, like we said, a variety of grains and oil seeds, and we're, we're certified organic. So this is, I believe, our third growing year as fully certified. Um, so we do things a little bit differently than our conventional neighbors, but we're still growing safe food to feed, feed the world just as every other conventional farmer is doing as well. So uh, some of the crops that we're growing this year, gosh, there's a lot of different things. <laughs> what we're mostly known for and what uh, people typically kind of slow down and when they're driving by our fields is our hemp fields because they look a little different than the canola that's next to the neighbor. Uh, but yeah, we grow hemp, uh, we'll grow pulses, uh, rye, all of these kind of things. So just kind of a variety of stuff. We're not all just one commodity kind of thing. So that's cool. Yeah. I interviewed um, a lady, um, her name is Alex, and she has a hemp farm in Colorado. And she was saying in our interview that they had people come by whenever they first started growing hemp, they thought it was a marijuana plant and they would come by and they would steal the actual plants in their in their farm. Um, so has anything like that happened to you? Oh, yes. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> that um, is crazy. I 
it's wild. And, you know, but I'm thinking of it from a consumer standpoint, like when you're driving past and you kind of know what marijuana looks like and Mm -hmm. you're driving past and there's a gigantic field of it, it's kind of alarming. It's like, what are these people (laughs) doing over here? Because really, like we're surrounded by corn and canola and wheat. Like there's we we are the only hemp farmers in this neck of the woods right here. So it's uh, it's kind of alarming to drive by. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh, I, I can imagine. That's so funny. So um, we've, we've talked with farmers on this show here in the U.S. about how the how they get the whole organic process, how they're like, quote unquote, certified organic. So you're in southern Alberta. So how exactly does that work with Canadian agriculture? Like what steps do you have to go through in order to be a certified organic? I am not fully versed on Uh, the American standard USDA certified organic process, but I believe it's pretty similar. So what we had to do was prior to getting certified is we had to have multiple years of uh, no synthetic or chemical inputs in our fields and basically running it as an organic farm. And then once you have those few years under your belt, um, then you start your certifying process where you have uh, your certifying body So a company that will come out and they will do your inspections yearly. They will check your fields. They will check your shops and underneath the sink to make sure you don't have your jug of Roundup there and (laughs) uh, just kind of go through. And honestly, it's a lot of paperwork. If I'm being truly honest, you know, you're not putting in chemical inputs that are not approved by your certifying body and you're doing a lot of paperwork. Yeah, I can imagine. I think here in the US, it's three or five years, I think, where you've got to document everything. And everybody that I've talked to that did the switch, they said it was such a headache. But what was what was the inspiration behind you guys to switch? I mean, did you just want to do organic? Was there kind of a place in the market for it? What was the inspiration behind that? I will give all of that credit to my husband. He is, I say, the mad brains behind the operation. And soil health and, you know, organics were something that he was very interested in for a long time. And it was just something that we could make work on our farm for the size of it and what we wanted to grow. So he wanted to make sure that what we were doing for our land was what our land could handle and what we needed. Um, Obviously, the organic grain prices are typically higher than conventional on a good year. So those are also other benefits as well, right? So he never, uh, when they were a conventional operation, they never did any of their own spraying or Justin never did any of the own spraying. It's just things that he didn't want to handle and things that he didn't want to deal with. So we always had to hire out, uh, sprayers or uh, anything like that. And because of the size of our operation, we're not the smallest and we're not the biggest. So uh, we were kind of last in line when it came to the custom workers coming out here to do it. So it kind of like with all of those factors, it just kind of added up to something that we could make work on our operation. And we've been doing it ever since. Hey, well, there you go. I mean, do you guys, is it easier? Is it harder? Is it more worth it? I mean, what's, since you've been doing it for a few years now, what's the, what are your kind of honest opinions about it? So I would say that it is a lot more labor and a lot more work uh, than I would say conventional. Um, And we 
we're under irrigation as well. So we have that going for us too, which is great. Um, but it is definitely more labor intensive. So once we have the seed in the ground and whether we had to do any um, spring field work before that, once it's seeded, we're able to irrigate, which is great. But then we have to keep an eye on if, you know, the crop is growing faster than the weeds are, or if there's a different weed that's there, that's going to wipe out this crop versus that crop. Like, uh, typically we start seeding in April, uh, and sometimes we're not done until mid July and we have a very short growing season. So we're, you know, we're planting and sometimes we're having to rip it all up and do replant and that kind of stuff. And then, um, you know, just keep an eye on it and make sure that we do the best we can and make sure that the soil is staying healthy meanwhile, and hopefully we get a good harvest out of it. <laughs> yeah, that's not bad. I mean, that's pretty good feedback. And that's kind of what I've heard from a lot of people that it's labor intensive, but I mean, it's pretty much worth it. And I mean, once you start doing it, it's hard to stop. Um, that's what it sounds like. Um, right. So what about your hobby? I love goats. I think they're super cute. My wife is addicted to them, especially the cute little baby goats. So what was the whole inspiration behind doing your little meat goats thing? Oh, gosh, you, your wife and I, we are the same, all of the baby goats. And I, <laughs> I, I'm happy to hear, Trevor, that you also are on team goat, as I like Absolutely. to call it. <laughs> Honestly, it was just something that I... I love animals and I'm an animal lover. And I just thought like, what can I do to have kind of my own thing on the farm? And uh, meat goats are quite popular in our area. And so I kind of just started doing my research and I bought books and I went to the university on Google of how to raise a meat goat and all of the things. So uh, <laughs> my husband was super supportive. He was like, yeah, try it out and see if you like it. And so the first year I ended up uh, purchasing two uh, young withered goats. And uh, I loved them so much. They were so great. And then I decided I should get a few more because the grass had grown too tall for these two little goats to eat. Um, so yeah, it was really successful. The first year I raised five boar goats and uh, they were all sold um, at auction. At that point, I don't know if they were sold for meat or if they were sold to another farm. Uh, I was probably too emotional at that point to <laughs> even know where they went. So I I always say that I, they are my livestock. They are, their purpose is for meat, but I raise them with the respect and love as a pet. So I don't know if that makes me a real farmer or not. I think it does. Cause I think a lot of farmers and ranchers have that love for their animals. Maybe not as fond as I do, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that was a good first experience. And the next year I ended up uh, raising a variety of 10 goats and uh, I had two bottle calves, which was also another learning experience for me. Last year, uh, I took a break due to COVID. And mm. uh, this year, I am just like stalking the internet, trying to find my next victims of goats on my farm. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. So starting out with two and then 10, and then you've got the calves in there too. That's right. funny. I'm sure there was a lot of learning whenever you're trying to figure that out. And I, I've never raised livestock. I never grew up on a farm. Um, my grandpa had a catfish operation, but I mean, we didn't really pet the catfish or anything they're, they're not <laughs> cute and cuddly but i had a lot of friends that um they had show steers or show pigs and they would get really attached to them and then of course come fair time it would get pretty emotional because you know they had to say goodbye to them so i think that does make you a farmer whenever you get super attached to your livestock i mean you you form those relationships with them even though they're gonna go into the whole processing system but i mean if, if you're taking care of them you're treating them well it's 
you're doing it for the better. I think so too. And the way that I look at it and when I was raising them, I I was giving them the very best life possible and they were going to have one no good, very bad day. And, you know, whether that was directly from my farm or they were going on elsewhere to either breed or to get fatter there, whatever it was, but they had the best life that they could on my farm. And honestly, the first time I direct sold um, live goats from the farm and they were going to processing. Um, I, although I was really sad, I don't think I've ever been more proud to know that what I did and the work that I did was directly going to feed a family in my community. Oh, gotcha. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, it's all about giving them a happy life. And then like you said, the one really bad day. Um, that, that's a really good point. I like that. Um, so moving on, I want to talk about your Wild Rose Farmer brand because that seems super cool. You've got, um, I mean, that's your Instagram handle, Wild Rose Farmer. That's your website. What was kind of the inspiration behind all that? I mean, you've got a cool website. You've got merch. What what, what started that? What started that was back when we got married, uh, my Google searches of what to do while you're a farm wife or what you're supposed to be doing as a farm wife kind of led to me sharing my own story and my own journey. So I, I started my Instagram page uh, back in 2017, I think it was. And I just started sharing my story and trying to connect with other women in agriculture because like I said, I didn't have any personal friends who I was close with that you know, had anything to do with agriculture. So I wanted to connect with other people and other women specifically in agriculture. And it kind of just grew from there. I, I started a blog and just kind of started sharing my stories and what I was doing and um, just kind of, you know, just showed up as who I was and who I am and wanted to kind of just connect with people through agriculture in that way. Um, the merch stuff kind of just fell into place after that when I started my podcast um, as a way to, you know, pay for my podcast and uh, just kind of all has grown organically through, through the years, I guess. Now, I think it's been close to four years that I've been sharing online. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, it, it looks like you've got a really big following on Instagram and with your podcast. I mean, I saw your post today. Your, I think your podcast, you said, is officially two years old and it's got over 200,000 downloads. That's pretty impressive. Uh, yeah, it's wild. It's absolutely wild. Today is my two-year launch anniversary. Um, the idea of the podcast definitely came way before the two-year mark of when it actually launched. But uh, yeah, I'm very very thankful and humble that uh, it is where it is today and people have received it so well. That's awesome. Yeah. So your podcast is Rural Women Podcast. And so obviously you um, interview rural women talking about like farm wives, farm stuff, ranch wives. So, I mean, what what kind of goal are you trying to accomplish there? Just kind of getting everybody. Just, I, I know um, the, when it comes to podcasting, like the riches are in the niches and it's really important to find your niche. And it seems like you found it with this one. Yeah, I honestly, the whole reason that I even started a podcast was because I was driving the tractor, spending all of these long hours in the podcast looking for something, uh, anything that was, you know, focused specifically on women in agriculture and not just, you know, just the regular old stories and sharing and everything. I wanted to celebrate women in agriculture. I wanted to hear something like that. And when I couldn't find one that suited my needs. I was like, well, I'm going to start my own. And uh, I remember coming in 
from mowing our cover crop and telling my husband, I was like, I had the greatest idea while I was on the tractor. I'm going to start a podcast about women in agriculture and celebrating their stories. And uh, his response was, well, that sounds like it's a lot of work. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> little, I always like to tell him that is the only time I'll give him credit is he was right. It is a lot of work and it has been a lot of work, but it has been one of the most rewarding things I've ever done. And uh, I'm able to share the stories of women in agriculture. And when I say that, you know, agriculture is such a broad industry and from farming and ranching and homesteading, agribusiness, uh, transition planning specialists. I've interviewed soil scientists. Like I have interviewed agronomists, like all of these women from all around the world. And none of them have the exact same story. But what brings us together is we are women in agriculture. So it it's just been such a neat experience. And I've just been so honored that people have even agreed to share their story with me. <laughs> I can remember reaching out like in the early days and being like, hey, my name is so and so will you come on my podcast? And like, they're probably like, who is this person? <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. I've listened to a couple of your episodes and they're really well done. And I mean, your latest one or one of the latest ones was Charlotte. You were talking about hosting farm tours online. And I just think that the way farmers have gone about um, kind of pivoting and adapting to COVID and just instead of doing farm tours, which is, I mean, a great educational experience for consumers and even other farmers to pivot and to do those online now is super cool. And so that was a really cool interview to listen how kind of how they've changed their operation and how they've done the farm tours online. So, I mean, it's, a lot of those episodes have been really fun to listen to. Yeah, thank you. Charlotte Wasilic. I don't know if you know this. I don't think we mentioned this in the episode. And I don't know, even know if I knew this when I was talking to her. She's like super young. I think she's 22 or 23 years old. And the amount of like, like knowledge and information and bright ideas that this woman has, like, I'm just blown away by her all of the time. I'm her like number one fangirl. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. So, I mean, when you're going, this is when I like to geek out with other podcasters. I mean, what all do you do to prep for those podcasts? I mean, do you do a ton of research about that guest or do you try to be surprised by something that they might bring up? What all do you do to kind of prepare for that interview? Oh gosh, I feel like I do a little bit of both. Um, so... Typically, the women that I am interviewing are people that I have found online. There are a few people that I've had the pleasure of meeting and knowing in person. So I'm able to, you know, do interviews that way, like pre-COVID, I guess. Um, but uh, yeah, I just, I've either found them online or made relationships with them. And that's kind of the one thing that I like to do prior is to kind of have a relationship with them. So I know what I'm getting into. I kind of know their backstory a little bit. But honestly, like I, I approach my questions in a way, if my guest ever is really super nervous, and they want their questions sent to them prior, so they can prepare it. Absolutely. But I always tell them like, it's just two girlfriends having a cup of coffee with each other, whatever's in their glass, I'm not going to judge them. But uh, <laughs> just kind of chatting. And honestly, I think some of the best interviews from people are they come from podcast hosts that are just overall curious and want to learn more about that 
person specifically and if they're in agriculture or whatever their industry is, right? So just to be curious and ask those questions. So I do a little bit of research beforehand and I have a few questions jotted down, but usually while they're talking, I'm like writing down 10 or 15 more questions <laughs> on the background. So yeah, that's such a good point too, because I'm finding out that, I mean, nine times out of 10, um, I'll go off of the talking points that we have because the guest will always bring up something that I just had no clue about. Um, it's like just something that is super fascinating that I think the listeners would want to listen to. And it always reminds me of that quote, like, if you don't plan, you're going to fail. And so if you don't come up with a list of questions, you're going to struggle to get through the interview. But you've also got to be willing to adapt and know that you you might not cover all those questions, which is totally fine. Um, but you've just got to, it's weird because you've got to kind of naturally guide the conversation, but, um, but you never know where it's going to go, which is, it, it's honestly kind of the fun part about podcasting. You might plan for it to go one way when in reality it might go a completely different way, but it would result in a really good authentic interview. Right. I completely agree with you. And I'm just thinking in my brain of an interview that I recently did that'll come out this year on the podcast with a beekeeper in Hawaii. And we went off on like a 10 minute tangent about queen bees because I didn't really know a whole lot about honey going into this. And when she told me about how amazing queen bees are, like I needed to know everything about them. So <laughs> <laughs> that's so fun. And I yeah. always yeah. And I always hope that my listeners are having like the same reaction or the same questions in their head. If not, they're probably thinking like, Caitlin, you've had way too much coffee today. Like you need to slow down. <laughs> <laughs> Y'all been talking about queen bees for 10 minutes. That's so right. funny though, because I, like anytime I look into bees and we've had, I think one of our first three episodes was with a, a, a honey company here in Florida. And um, we were I, just, there's just so much to know about the queen bee. I mean, like, of course, it's the boss bee, but I mean, there's just so much to know about it. And I didn't know that um, if a colony doesn't have a queen bee, like if she dies, for example, you can get another queen and then take it to that colony, but they can accept it or reject it. And if they reject it, I think they kill the queen bee, which is crazy. Yes. Yeah, which it is, is, I mean, vicious. <laughs> I, I can, I, it sounds like it. I mean, it's just so weird, but it's so cool just kind of learn how those bee colonies, how they work, how they interact. I mean, they are. A civilization and you've got the worker bees you've got the bees that take care of the of the queen bee then you've got the queen you've got you've got drones it's there's a lot going into a bee colony than you would think yeah absolutely absolutely and you know like tying this back to the podcast question i had no questions about queen bees written down but because we had that conversation and we were able to kind of just go off on whatever rant that the conversation brought it brought a good conversation and I know all about <laughs> queen bees now. <laughs> hey, there you go. It's a win-win. I mean, I'm sure the listeners learned a lot about queen bees. You learned a lot about queen bees. So that's perfect. It's all yeah. about a win-win. Um, exactly. So I've got to pick your brain because with the whole farm traveler thing and the podcast and the brand, I'm trying to build it up. And it seems like you know what you're doing because, I mean, I'm looking on Instagram right now. You've got 11,000 followers. Like you said earlier, you've got... Um, 200,000 downloads with podcast or with your podcast. And that's no easy feat. So what are some of the biggest tools or the biggest um, strategies you've used to help build your brand and build your podcast? I wish I had a really like educated answer to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> I really do. But uh, 
I honestly feel like within the last two years, I'll say, have been the biggest growth years for me personally and online um, when it comes to, you know, figuring out who you are and doing that on purpose. And I don't know if that makes sense, but um, just showing up as your authentic self. And I think, you know, there's a lot of people who are on Instagram or on social media and they are trying to be something for everyone or they're trying to, you know, get to the 10,000 swipe up or, you know, any of those things. And my honest opinion on that is that those numbers, they're vanity metrics and they really don't matter. When you show up and you are your true authentic self, then the people who you know, want to be there, will be there. It's not just a number that these are people and you're building relationships with them. So that's been something that's really been important to me this, you know, the entire time that I've been sharing my story online. But I would say specifically over the last two years is building those relationships and building those connections with women and people in agriculture um, to kind of build a bigger community and to be there to support one another, whether, you know, that's through hard times or to celebrate with people. You know, I think it's really easy to, you know, be there for somebody when things are hard. But I think people need to understand, like, you need to be there for them too when things are going good and they want to celebrate. You know, there's no need to be jealous of what somebody has or because you don't have it. I think it's just being there to celebrate with somebody too. And those are the types of relationships that I've built. I have a group of women. I have you know, my cheerleaders. And I think those are the most important things to me. And, you know, the numbers follow and the downloads follow after that. So like I said, I would like to give you a step-by-step instructions of how to do it, but uh, (laughs) that's kind of the back-end answer is just show up as yourself and eventually the rest will follow. No, I mean, those are still really, really good points. And I mean, the longer I've been doing this, I mean, whenever I started, I was like, my wife can attest to this. Um, I would always strive for perfection because I wanted it to be perfect. And um, that, I mean, you, that's not going to work. Like nothing you can do is going to be absolutely perfect. Like you said, like you've got to be your authentic self. And I mean, when I'm doing a post, I want that post to be perfect. I want the podcast to be perfect. And that's something I've been trying to, trying to get better, just be more authentic and just have good content and just kind of relate more with the audience. Cause um, I mean, every time I kind of get down about numbers, which my wife kind of reminds me again, she's like, Hey, you've got like, like 400, 500 people to listen to you every week. And they're like friends, family, people you've never met. And I'm like, you know what? That's a really good point. I mean, like somebody's taking time out of their day to listen to what you have to say. And it doesn't matter if it's 10 or 10,000, you need to take that. Don't take it lightly and just kind of take that as a big responsibility. And I mean, in your last point, like I I took some notes of what you're saying, be there for when they're successful and don't be jealous of their success. I think that's really big. I mean, when, when somebody wins, especially in the ag industry, I think we all win because we're all trying to get a message out there. Um, You know, the farmers and ranchers are just trying to do so much and they aren't given really the time of day by a lot of people. And I mean, if one brand or if one podcast wins, that's really a success for all of us. So those are those are really good bullet points. I really like those. Those, those are good advice. Thank you. And yeah, like I, I have 
quoted this saying many times, but uh, egg needs to support egg. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like you said, when one of us wins, we all win. And it doesn't matter if we're conventional or organic or whatever it is. You know, our industry is is small in the grand scheme of things. And, you know, celebrating each other's wins and being there for each other when, you know, you need a shoulder to cry on or any of that, it's it's always good. So I always say, like, support your neighbors, egg mm. sports egg, all of the I, good things. I like that. That should be a shirt, ag supports ag. Do you, do you well, have that as a shirt already? <laughs> I do. I do. Yes. <laughs> That's perfect. You you can get yourself one. <laughs> I'll send you one. That's so fun. Yeah, I experimented uh, a few months ago making farm traveler shirts, and we've sold, I think, about thirty so far, and they're super soft, and I love them. And now I've got a farm traveler hat. And one time I went to Lowe's, and I had a farm traveler hat and t-shirt on, and I was like, uh, "Is this too much? Am I being too extra? This is <laughs> this was totally unintentional, but I feel like a walking billboard right now." Oh, that's awesome. I love it. I have a kind of a new line of merch coming out really soon. I have the samples sitting on my desk and I'm really excited about them. So I always like I love good farm swag. And you know, like you said, like walking around like a traveling billboard. That's awesome. You should do that. You should celebrate your soft t shirt and your hat in the Home Depot and everywhere. (laughs) Oh, absolutely. That's so funny. That's such a good point. Um, All right. So last question. And I love to ask this to everybody. Um, what are your thoughts on the farmer consumer relationship? Is it good? Is it improving? Does it need a lot of work? What do you think about that relationship right now in 2021? Oh boy. Oh boy. (laughs) Sometimes, sometimes I feel like my opinion on this differs a little bit from other people and some people don't like this opinion and I've learned to accept and be okay with that. So my opinion coming from a first generation farmer who was a lifetime consumer, I think that overall it is improving. And I think that conversations like this um, improve, you know, the conversation and having an audience wider than agriculture itself. Um, But one thing I have to say and nitpick about agriculture communicating to consumers is I really get crusty when farmers and ranchers and anybody in agriculture says that we are educating the consumer because I'm just like, why? Like, why do you have to use the word educating? And again, like I said, I'm just crusty about it. I don't, I don't think that the consumer wants to be educated. I think they want a story shared with them. I think they want to be able to connect the story of where their food comes from with the person behind it. So what we can do is we can go on Facebook or we can go on Instagram and just show what we're doing. You know, I'm not sitting you down in a classroom and getting the blackboard behind me and showing you a diagram of whatever it is that I'm doing on the farm. I'm just simply showing you what I'm doing and whether that's mowing the stubble down on the cover crop or if I'm, you know, rotating where my meat goats are grazing or, you know, whatever it is, right? Like, I just think that storytelling should be over educating. And I think some people don't like that. And I'm okay with that. Like I said, (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that kind of goes back with what you were saying earlier, like be your authentic self. I mean, instead of just trying to educate, 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 you just kind of show them what you do and they're going to learn and they're going to see what you do how hardworking you are, how hardworking farmers and ranchers are, and they're going to see what's going on and they're going to follow your story. So I think that's kind of a 
kind of a full circle there. I mean, you can kind of right. see you you broadcast your authentic self, and then those consumers see that too. Right, exactly. And you know, I don't know if it's people want to. I don't know if it's ego involved, if that's why it's educating them or whatever it is. But I just think like, just communicate with them, like just talk to them, share your story, tell them what you're doing, because there are so many other people out there that are kind of trying to break down what we're doing and saying what we're doing is wrong. And this is what we should be doing instead. Like there is enough of those people out there. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. I think the thing that bothers me the most is when I see not consumers or the media or anything attacking farmers or ranchers, but when other farmers and ranchers are attacking each other online, that just to me, like puts us back so many years and we have to do better. We have to support one another, whether we fully agree with what somebody's doing online or not, we just need to support the industry as a whole. I like that. Yeah, I've seen I used to get on Twitter a lot. And especially with Twitter, there'd be a lot of infighting in agriculture about like, what people are are producing content wise, or even um, just fights about like, why they're growing organic, or why they're growing GMOs and stuff like that. And so um, I mean, I I think the less infighting and the more together we are in ag, I think the better it's going to be. And like you said, again, you're so good with the catchphrases, ag needs to support ag. I like it. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well, Caitlin, this has been super, super fun chatting with you. Um, if people want to follow you, see what you're doing, check out the Wild Rose Farmer, um, your website, the podcast, where all can they go to kind of follow you, follow your story and see what's going on? Well, thank you so much, Trevor. This has been so fun chatting with you. If your listeners would like to connect with me, they can head on over. My favorite platform is Instagram and I'm at Wild Rose Farmer. I'm also on the Twitter and the Facebook and my website is wildrosefarmer.com. And if they would like to hear my podcast, the Rural Woman podcast is available for download on any of the major platforms that you listen to your podcasts on. And you've also got that merch. I'm going to have to check out your merch store and buy a couple (laughs) t-shirts. That's super well, thank cool. you. And like I said, there's new ones coming. So Heck yes, we'll be, be on the excited. lookout for them. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> We'd definitely be excited. Well, Caitlin, thanks so much again. Really appreciate you coming on the show. Learned a lot from you. I had a really good conversation and we'll we'll be in touch. Thanks, Trevor. It's been fun. <laughs>